There is no road. We make the path as we go. When we reach the end, we, when we think we've reached the end, we actually are at the beginning. And the longest journey that I will ever make is the journey to the heart of the person next to me. Hi, this is Clay Boykin, and I am in search of the new compassionate male. Today, my producer, Dennis Tardan, and I had the opportunity to visit with Dr. Karambu Ringera, founder of International Peace Initiatives, located in Maru, Kenya. I have had the opportunity to work with Dr. Karambu over the past couple of years and have grown to love and respect her as a person and how she shows up in the world. Dr. Karambu is an empowering leader with a powerful message. I invite you to listen. Hello, world. It's me, Dennis, and today we, Clay, you and I have the pleasure of hosting one of our heroes, Dr. Karambu. Karambu, it's so lovely to hear you. Clay, would you please introduce and tell us what you're doing today? Yes, Dennis. Thank you. Karambu and I met through the Gender Equity and Reconciliation International Program, and um, getting to know Karambu has been remarkable. We'll learn about what she's doing. I'm not going to go into that, but uh, I've had the opportunity to to work with her, and um, she's very special to me. And 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 me too. I had the pleasure. Karambu, of of interviewing you and and talking a little bit about your 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 life journey and and what you're doing here on the planet. Here we are in July of 2020. Uh, in the and the world has changed so much since we last saw you just a few months ago in the United States. Can you give us a a, a sense of what is going on on the ground as you're seeing it there, and then we can we can talk a little bit about and give some context about where about your 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 the, the home that you have there, the the children that you're uh, feeding and working with, the women that you're working with in Kenya. Thank you so much, uh, Clay and Dennis, for having me um, on your podcast um, tonight, this morning, uh, depending <laughs> on where you are. <laughs> yeah, it's a pleasure, a pleasure to be with you, to see you again after our world has changed. Because yes. I, I totally believe something has shifted mm-hmm. and things have changed. Um, my name is Dr. Karambu Ringera, like uh, you had in the introduction. Yes. And I am the founder and president of an organization known as International Peace Initiatives. At International Peace Initiatives, we believe that uh, peace is not merely the absence of war. It's when people have access to resources to help them meet their basic needs and live lives of dignity. We work with women, uh, in particular women who've been infected or affected by HIV and AIDS. We work with children who have become orphans because of HIV and AIDS or because of poverty or violence in their lives. And we work with these so-called vulnerable groups. And um, my learning from working with them is really that... uh, except the society makes people vulnerable because of the namings and markings that 
we give people, no one is helpless and hopeless. And um, when people have what they need, um, they can actually transform their lives and they can thrive. And so um, I don't help people. I work with people because no one needs help because no one can help another unless one wants to be helped or supported. So I work with people to find who they are through a dialogue um, process and a systems thinking um, mind and heart set that looks at people as whole, complete, pure and enough. We don't victimize people. We invite people to recognize the naming in the victimization that uh, society has put in certain words, in language, in the languages that we use and things like that. To, we invite people to understand that and to choose to define themselves, to name themselves. And through that process, I have found that when especially so-called vulnerable women know who they are, they take off. I mean, they, they just take off. I, I like to say that the tragedy of a people is when they don't know who they are. Because even defined within a disease like HIV and AIDS, when people understand they are not the disease, when they understand they are bigger than the disease, it totally changes their worldview. It totally changes how they see themselves and themselves in the world. And nothing is impossible at that point. So our work is about regenerating who we are. Because regeneration for me is returning something to its former essence. My former essence is knowing who I am because I am, I wasn't born uh, the way we've been taught that we are born in sin, we are born in all these things. I, I know I am a gift to the world and I came pure and whole and complete. And my business here is to find that wholeness before it was drowned in my socialization and to be able to then reclaim who I am meant to be and live that. I call that interbeing, you know. Um, I'll talk a little bit about Utu. You heard that um, the African philosophy of Ubuntu, I am because Mm -hmm. you are. And I say Ubuntu is being human, but Utu is about how I be human. Utu is the humaneness in my being human. And regeneration is about cultivating my Utu-ness, mm-hmm. my humaneness, so that I fully be human by stepping into my humaneness, which is based on the divine essence in which I am embedded or embraced in this life. Karambu, I wanted to um, ask, you started the school there north of Nairobi in Maru, Kenya, right? 
How long has that been since you started? I, I, I called it a school. I make that mistake. It's a home. Um, how long has that been? Yeah, and it, it's amazing because everybody calls it a school. <laughs> and I, I, yes. I guess it's a school because even in the in the in the drawing of the of the building this whoever drew it called it a school and i was like it's a home <laughs> but then everybody calls it a school so i'm getting to start listening to why it's a school because uh, I, I i start to see how it, it's a school but we've been here for 10 years hmm. we started the home in 2009 and actually that is when we moved in, in August, on the 23rd of August, 2009. That is when we moved uh, at the home. So um, August this year will be 11 years. However, working with the women started in 2003. Mm-hmm. When <clears throat> One of the things that, that I find so profound about what you're doing is that you're actually, you're having a human community here in in the home so that you have a community that 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 has it that's not only contained but you also get an opportunity to look inside of the the hearts and to see how they can bring forward how each of us brings forward this essence of who we are so i look at us here in the united states in the richest country in the world so far that and i see the 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 materialism i see the same hunger Mm. for finding ourselves even in the richest and the and the the most prosperous of communities that same hunger is the hunger that you're working on right there exactly um in our work, um, there's the, the 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 land that the community gave us to build the children's home, and they really gave us a piece of wasteland. It's rocky. It was rocky. It was um, you couldn't grow anything there. And through working with the women and the children, who because of the women's status and the children's status as orphans are forms of human wasteland in, 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 the, in the perspective of the world today. Mm-hmm. And in working with the land and transforming it into a large, beautiful home for the children right now, and the transformation that I've seen within the women and the children, um, it, it is true, there are different forms of thirst Wealth, uh, prosperity, is not only in the form of money. For example, in our tradition, when a person is hungry and they come to my land and they find a ripe banana, if they sit there and eat it, uh, it's okay. We will never say a person stole our bananas if he sat there or she sat there and ate because she was hungry. Um, in our community, we say that um, even if I live in a 20-room house and the person next to me lives in a slum, then I'm not prosperous. I'm not wealthy because wealth is not an individual thing. Wealth is a communal 
mm-hmm. a communal endeavor i cannot be wealthy when there's someone else who is sleeping next to my gate who is hungry who does not have food so um the 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 african concept of a whole wholeness within the community is really beautiful and and so the hunger that you see um in your communities in the states is one aspect but then in the capitalist world modern um world view uh, we we have defined what is what is wealth and health using the wrong parameters because it's not about money it's not about status because of the hierarchies that we've got we have created as a society so there are people who are up here for whatever measure that we use and, and stuff like that so the measure of um happiness for example prosperity within the african communities was very different and um there's there's something that um we really value like you can't come and give me something and then ask me to give it to the children and ask the kids to run and compete for it and whoever reaches a certain point before everybody else will get whatever um everybody works together and they go and sit around a circle and each one shares the item that is in the basket there's no competition there's cooperation so um what i'll just say is the the thirst is the same um because what is within us that which calls from within us is the same the context within which we live and the material stuff may be different however from within the essence of that which calls us into life is the same i i also say that um we think that there's a life that we are living that is why materialism is so important to us because there's a life that i'm living i have a big house i have 10 cars i have this and the other however i believe that there's no life that karambu is living but there's a life that has been calling to be lived through me yes. and my business is to work out what is this life that is calling to be lived within me and or through me and when i discover that when i find out what that is it totally changes mm. the way i see the world the way i listen to what that calling is and the way that i be in the world with that that life is calling the life that is calling to be lived through me you know what i love about what you said karambu there 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 is so much but but this can you can you talk a little bit about your journey on how you came to this awareness that you are uh that there is a life that is waiting to be lived by you and to live that best life could you, could you talk a little bit about getting to that place because you weren't born there there was a process of getting there in your own soul evolution uh, yeah it's been a journey and 
through listening to people, through reading, through my own lived experiences, I came to understand a lot of things. But one of the things that has really impacted the way that I think is being in this life as a woman born in Africa and who had the blessing and opportunity to study outside my country in South Africa and then I went to the US and patriarchy as a system through which I lived left a marking in in my life because I saw the life that women were living. For example, when I was very young, there's a woman who used to come through my mother's door every night at around, now I figure it's around 9 p.m. And every night she used to hit my mother's door and she'd run right across the house and hide. she would hide at the back. And when I grew up, I, I asked my mom, what was that about that woman who came to her home every night? I was very young, but I don't forget that woman. Because soon after she arrived, uh, my mom would tell us, you know, like to be quiet. Mm -hmm. And soon after, there would be a voice at the door, a male voice, asking my mother something. And then I would hear the receding footsteps of that man. And later on, I asked my mom what that was about. And she told me that uh, that man used to beat his wife every night. And I would be like, isn't she a grown-up person? Why would, would someone be beating her every night, you know? And so many other things that I observed happening to women. And I used to wonder, how can I, you know, avoid this. I mean, because that's not the kind of life I want to live. Yes. And later on, through very many experiences, I, I realized that patriarchy is a system that privileges men. Yes. And if you live within a patriarchal society as a woman, you are less than you know, you're below everything else. So for a man, there's his children, the cows, the goats, the car, the whatever they, they own, and at the bottom is the woman. Yes. And I'll tell you a shocking thing that my grandmother, my grandfather said um, in the hearing of my mother when she was young, and my, brother, my grandfather said, if it wasn't for the fact that a woman gives birth to a child and we see it, of what is she worth? I was like, what? Mm. I mean, that, that was like shocking. Like, you can imagine in my mind where that took me. It's like, yes. what's wrong with being a woman? Um, and it, it reminded me of something that um, Terry said during the podcast the other day mm -hmm. that I was listening to about um, castration mm -hmm. um, that for men um, to to have to 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 be feminine it's like they feel castrated like a woman and I was like what I don't feel castrated I mean I don't even define myself by 
that, but I, I yes. then I realized that depending on where you're standing and what you're using as your measure for looking at the other. So if a man looks at me as his opposite, then that which they have and I yes. don't have is who I am. Mm. And when I had those words, I started thinking about, I don't experience myself as frustrated. I experience myself yes. as whole, complete and beautiful person, complete, you know? So I understood the importance of being present to the context within which people live yes. and understanding socialization and programming because I say the systems within which we live have programmed us in certain ways. We think we think our own thoughts. We think we live our own beliefs, but we live someone else's story. That is why I, I, I like talking about creating new stories because to create a new story comes from shedding, understanding who I am and what stops me and understanding all those systems and how they have impacted my life and recognizing the misnaming that I have given myself from the misnaming that the community has given me because who I say I am is based on um, what people say I am, my parents, my siblings, my friends, and on and on. What I say, who I say I am from what the namings, from the namings of these people. And then all the other socialization stories that I've had about women, about whatever. And so I realized that until the process of understanding myself is understanding those systems, how they have stopped me, and how I myself have stopped myself because of believing in these other people's stories. So my creation of a new story every moment is about shedding the naming, the marking, and being present to every time, being present to who do I say I am? Who do I say I am? And reminding me myself, reminding myself every moment of who I am because the world is standing there waiting to tell me who I'm not. You know who I am, which is who I'm not. So I have to always remember to go back to who I am. And when you shed the layers of the namings and markings and you get to the bottom where there's nothing else, it's at that space, that place, that then I started figuring who I am, who, who am I now that all these other layers have been peeled off. It's Continue. a journey of dialoguing with myself and peeling all these layers. Because when I found, when I got to that place, and I'm telling you, it's a process. It's a process that one goes through in tears, in frustration, disappointment, and things like that. Because for me to come to that point, I had gotten to a point where every day for about a year and a half, I dreamt that I had a wound on my leg. Every day, I dreamt that I had a wound. And one day, I decided, hey, let me find what is in this wound. You know, like, what's wrong with my leg? And I'm telling you, when I opened up the bandage, which was like so dirty because it looked like the wound was so bad, when I opened the bandage, there was no wound. And I understood that that wound was my woundedness from the stories that I had allowed to define who I am. 
And from that point, I knew two things. I can heal myself. And I, I, I can find, I, I need to understand who I am so that I can shed all those layers of mis- misnaming myself. You know, if you see what I mean. I do. So um, that is, it's through those journeys. And the reason why I dreamt that wound was because I was going through a very terrible phase in my life, which is a long story, probably can be shared another time. But um, when I discovered that it, I had allowed the namings and markings of the society to define who I was, when I opened that wound, it, it was like a cleansing. It was like a knowing. It was a knowing. It was a deep knowing that, wow, this is not who I am. And so shortly around that time, I had read a book that, and one of the things that I remember about that book was saying, there is no road. We make the path as we go. When we reach the end, we, when we think we've reached the end, we actually are at the beginning. And the longest journey that I will ever make is the journey to the heart of the person next to me. Mm. That came with the process of forgiving the people who had led me to that place of thinking that I had a wound on my leg. Because once I understood what was going on, then I had to work on the process of forgiving myself and forgiving the other people. It's a long process, but once I got there, it it was like freedom. (laughs) That is what I call freedom because I freed myself uh, of societal conditioning and stuff like that. And I started really delving deep into who did I then want to be. I started thinking about who did God meant me? Who did God mean me to be? Or, you know, English is not my first language. So I dance with it. So what is the highest self that is meant for me? (laughs) And that is who I want to be every day. That's the beingness, the utuness that I want to live every day. Yeah. You know, Clay, you were talking about the, first of all, let me just say, wow. Okay, thank you. Now, next, <laughs> I just want to, I, I want to recognize, Karambu, the grace that we get an opportunity to be able to share with you. I just, I need, I need to do that because it's, my soul is just resonating so deeply with everything that you've said. Clay, you in search of the new compassionate male, we understand that the patriarchy is the toxic masculinity is the, what we're going, the evolution. Can you talk about what that is and, and how that is, uh, evolving, devolving, and then evolving into where we're going. Yes. Um, gosh, what I've been learning along the way uh, is that the patriarchy's wounded both men and women, that we're all wounded by the patriarchy. And um, that realization started to really resonate uh, when I began uh, working with the Gender Equity and Reconciliation International Organization. They, for 28 years, have been working on this, bringing 
women and men together in a safe and sacred setting to enable them to bear their wounds out, not to compare them, but to honor them and to recognize that those wounds are are common, are what, what we have in common, that we're both wounded by the patriarchy. And, and then to be able to build a relationship from there uh, different than what we've seen in the past. So I've learned that through that program, very rich program, and I've witnessed it within our men's circle over the past eight years. Um, men coming in, carrying all sorts of wounds, and uh, in a little bit different twist, so many of the men come in the way that I started out. I didn't trust other men. You know, the competition set up by the patriarchy, it's, it's dog eat dog, right? Climb the ladder and dog eat dog. Step on the other person. And uh, and I realized that I was getting at a point in life where for me to grow, like Karambu says, to find out who I really am and to show up, um, I had to build a, be able to break that mistrust and begin to um, form that relationship. I thought, Karambu, you, you said uh, something about the longest journey. And I thought you were going to say from my head to my heart, but you said the longest journey is from my heart to your heart. I'd never heard that before. And you're right. And that's what we've witnessed in our men's circle. I'm realizing you've hit the nail on the head for me that we're beginning to connect and learn how to speak with one another on a deeper level to learn one another. I've said it before you know, uh, Dennis, that, you know, we have 25 guys in a circle on a Monday night. You know, there's over a thousand life years of experience sitting right there. And there's something that each one of us can learn from one another. Not that we're there to teach anybody anything, but we're there to show up and for us to learn from others' experiences. And you've witnessed it, Dennis the transformation that happens when men are in a safe space. And that's unique. And so counter to the, the toxicity that's out in, in the patriarchal system. We have that. And, and, and Karambu, when you see, when you see these children, when you see these young men growing rather than competing, actually growing and being part of that more of a balanced it it can can you talk about that please? It's beautiful to watch kids some who came from the street. Um some who had been abandoned and left to die actually come to a point of saying I may be an orphan but I'm not the one who is dead. That's a recognition of they have a life that is calling to be lived through them. It's not their fault that they don't have parents and that that their parents passed on. And now they have a responsibility 
to live their lives fully because they recognize that it's a gift that they've been given. So what are they choosing? What are they going to choose to do with this gift? And so for me, I say that I, I hold a space for the kids to see who they are and to choose to step into that and live it every day. And we, it's a huge dance that we do with the kids, you know, molding, working to mold who they want to become. And as you know, bringing up kids, there's so much uh, stuff that is happening all the time. <laughs> but when you, um, when a kid says that I was given a punishment and I value when I am given a punishment when I have done wrong. They, are, they were saying they've never been punished uh, wrongly when they haven't done something wrong. And this is a little guy saying this and I'm like, yeah, that is it. Mm. Recognizing, taking responsibility of the errors and the good that you're creating every, every minute. Karumbu, one of the things that I loved about what you said earlier was that that we are already complete, mm. that we are complete, that, that we're not here to add something. Actually, we're here to subtract what the world has told me about Dennis and what the world has put on to there. And that that is what I see you doing uh, with the children and why it's such a what why it's such a an extraordinary and global mission yeah I, I feel sometimes like the conditioning that we get from our society really makes us waste a lot of time <laughs> instead of leaving our gifts and just doing the beauty that we came to do for, uh, here on on earth it's like now you you have to you're born beautiful whole and then you're submerged into this societal you know whatever and then now you have to re resurrect yourself again mm-hmm. <laughs> and so sometimes i think uh, since i was i i i, I was brought up christian i i think that if, if people stopped and thought about the story of Jesus and the things that he went, the story of his life is the story of what society does to us and the, the call, the call, the call is to get out of, of this stuff and find, find, find life. To find life for me is... Um, uh, reconnect to the divine, the goodness that is within me, because I believe that um, when we, the world's template is good. That is what I believe. I know there are a lot of ugly things that are happening out there, but I believe that the template is good, and I choose where I'm going to stand on that template. If I want to look at a, a, a glass of water and always think it's half empty, that's my choice. I choose to look at a half empty glass of water and say it is half full. And my business is to fill 
the other half with whatever that I'm, I need to do. So um, there's a calling there to really be aware of how do I want to be in this world? The template is good. How do I want to do the dance um, and, and to be the gift that I'm meant to be uh, in, this, in this world, in this life? And that's my experience with you, Clay. When I, when I, Karambu, when I met Clay, uh, I was uh, seriously, uh, I had been searching for many years and, and really having this, this story that I had told myself that, that I could be very comfortable with uh, around women, and I was very close to women, but I just could not trust or or be a part of the idea of, of with men, and, and I and I'm, and it caused a great deal of internal consternation with me. And one of the things that has been so healing in this, and as we're talking about it in search of the new compassionate male, it's how do we, how do we have within us. Within each of us, we have both male and female, and we have these these part. And the part of that I that I am looking to grow, the place that has the largest capacity for growth with me, is the maleness. Is the is the compassionate male, and what this might look like. And Clay, you're talking about this as being a new archetype, right? I and mean, could you talk mm-hmm. a little about that and how, and how that might look in the world? What, what I'm learning, because, you know, I don't have the answer, but, but what I'm learning along the way is what I was referring to earlier about the, the wounds and what have you. But the, you know, the uh, archetypes, the, the king warrior, magician, lover uh, that Robert Gillette and Robert Moore uh, brought forward based on the Jungian work. Um, Those have served a purpose and they do serve a purpose in helping men, young men and, and men of all ages to point to what it is to be a king or a warrior, a magician or a lover. But what I am coming to learn is that there's something additional to that, that emerging from those archetypes is another archetype. And that's what I believe is that the new compassionate male is a new emerging archetype. That doesn't take anything away from the others, but this is a drawing forward point that within every person, regardless if they're king or warrior, magician or lover, there's there's a part of them that's innate it's in their dna that is that is love expressed as compassion the mother reaching out for the child with no regard for herself to save the child you know i've said it before the marine that throws himself on the grenade to save his brothers he didn't think about that that's a that's the most basic human condition is that caring for another person and oh that I could live my life at that place without all the distractions that Karamu that you were talking about to live that place of 
of that spontaneous care for another person, knowing that we're doing that together. Well, I, let me, I, I want to jump in there on that, uh, Clay, because I see you doing it. And Karambu, what you said was, is that it's process and not product. It's the journey and not the destination. And this is, we, we, are, we are works in progress. And as you are doing it, as I'm seeing you do it, and Clay, as I see you do it, and the people that I'm interacting with, and as I see myself do it, the process unfolds, but it unfolds differently than I might have thought if I were trying to program it. It's, it's much more beautiful and much more nuanced and much, much deeper and richer than I, I would have stopped short. It's that extraordinary. And actually, what you just said reminded me in trying to work out um, understanding patriarchy as one of the systems and how it has impacted both women and men through the Gender Equity and Reconciliation International work that um, Clay talked about, and that's actually where we met. Mm -hmm. um, that helped me understand uh, that system and I used to think that it has it has harmed only women but now I understood how it has harmed men too and in Clay's work I understood um, when I understood um, the the woundedness that patriarchy as a system has um, brought to men and women, it, it, it kills something. Systems kill something in people so that they lose who they are, so that they can hear the system rather than hear themselves. And in Clay's work, I, I see the rupture, the rupturing, the opening of what is that missing link and it is the finding that the, the, uh, patriarchy has told men they are certain they are a certain way, and so they 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 don't show feelings. They they are not supposed to, you know, all those things that have have buried the feminine in them. Just like I, as a woman, have to recognize the masculine in me. So does a man. Um, have to find the feminine in them to be balanced, to be whole. And that's how the moving from the mind to the heart, that journey happens. Because in this um, heart space dance, there's the feelings that they have been told you don't have any feelings, <laughs> but they know they do have those feelings. So in Clay's work, I, I find amazing in, in that I have watched my, my boys, my young men who've gone through it. And I'm telling you, it has totally changed their lives. Even though they've gone through the uh, passage of the rite of passage through circumcision and they've been taught how to be men in this place, it has attending Clay's workshop here in Meru. I don't know. 
um, softened. He, it brought it brought another light in their eye of recognizing the importance of loving themselves, that they are worth loving, and that their business is not always to 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 lord it over others. That there is beauty in listening and working cooperatively with others. And there's also beauty in discovering the feminine in you. It, it totally turned around their world. And so the, the, the importance of this work is in, um, it, you know, like creating that, linking the dots and, and for a, a man to emerge whole and complete and enough also in finding who they really are, not from the namings and markings of the society, but from, and these young men still have these conversations amongst themselves and always um, talk amongst themselves when one of them is being funny or something like that and, and bringing them back to understanding, understanding what to be a man really looks like. It is not in the wearing the masks that they've been wearing and walking around with. It's in opening, you know, being open to breaking open that mask and to walk in your true authenticity every moment of your life. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's so beautiful to watch these young men. Today, one of them told me that um, because they opened up travel in Kenya with COVID-19, Yesterday, uh, the president opened the locked the, the lockdown places, and so he said, "I want to go home and talk with other young people my age and uh, work with them to transform their lives the way mine has been transformed." Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason why he wanted to go home is so that he can talk to people in his village. So, um, cracking open that beautiful softness that is in every man that that has been beautiful to watch in my in my young men here you know so thank you clay you totally changed <laughs> thank <you>. the world <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. was so fascinating or, it was so fascinating working with them uh what we i guess established trust with one another and that we could open up, you know, I shared my story and was uh, showed that there's to be vulnerable to speak one's mind with an open heart, as Brene Brown says, for them to witness me doing that, modeling the way in a safe and sacred space. said, it's okay. And once they began speaking, every one of them, they have it in them. They have it in them. And I said, guys, you know, through your rites of passage, you've been trained to be a warrior and you've got your sword or your, you know, in, in one hand, but you get your other hand tied behind your back. What kind of warrior can you be? You know, to be a complete man, to be a, a complete male. Sure. You have to have perhaps a sword or something of that nature in one hand, but you have to have the hand of compassion in the other so that together you can show up in the right way at the right time for the right reason. And, and they resonated with that. Absolutely. And, and if 
it would not have been so powerful if when you left that the message left with you. That was what was what, what I love about what you did was is that that you you showed up and you walked and you showed your vulnerability. You opened up and you said, I am not here. What do I have? Well, I said, first thing I said to him, I said, you know, I'm a privileged white Western male. Who am I to come to your country and think that I can teach you anything? You know, I'm here sure to share what I have, but primarily to learn from you so I can put into context what I have. And so together we can learn from each other. And I tell you, Dennis, I came away. It was so rewarding. I grew so much during that time that I was there. And I grew that that growth was because of those young men. The energy yes. that they brought up to the surface. Mm-hmm. They're showing their wholeness and completeness. What a gift. And, and your willingness to grow. Yes. Absolutely. Your willingness to go over there open-minded and open-hearted because I saw you a couple of days before and I saw you right after you returned and there was a healing and a growth in you. It was, it was like, wow, that was something that was, <laughs> and that's why we've had many, many, got many, many conversations about the experience and this, uh, of, of you doing that. Dennis, there's something else I also tell you about um, clay's being, clay being in Kenya. Because a lot of Westerners come to Kenya to teach us. <laughs> they come to Kenya with their story, which they want, they want to they want us to make our story because that is what development is, you know. And they saw a person who is white, who, who claims his white privilege because he told them he is a white privilege. He owns his privilege. He is not hiding it and looking like, oh, uh, I'm coming to help you and stuff like that. He said, I can't, I, I can't teach you anything unless there's something I learn from you so that then I can share what I have as you share what you have. And together we create something mm-hmm. that is neither yours nor mine. But when we meet here in the middle, we create something amazingly new and unique and that serves us both. So most people come to Kenya to come and help and they don't learn because they come with the assumption that there's nothing to learn from Africa and it's their loss. Because like you said, Dennis, you saw the change in clay and our work has actually been about working with people like clay who know that there's no one that needs help. We work together because each one of us is going to be served by the gift that each one of us bring to the table. And that is the thing that 
aid and development must discover for it to make a difference, not only in places like Africa, but to the people who bring it because the, the donor world is very racist. Mm -hmm. The aid world is very racist. And until the decolonization of our minds <laughs> and of the donor is, happens, we will continue perpetuating dependency. We will perpetuate looking at uh, the outside as where everything good comes from. Yes. And in place um, sharing and showing up and in the, the work that we do, the thing is to show that transformation comes from within me. Nothing good comes from outside always has to come from within me and it's from that place of looking within me as a person and looking within my country and seeing the good that is there and when someone comes they are coming for us to work out something that is unique because their goodness and our goodness meet somewhere and that creates an amazing amazing beautiful transformation for each one. So true. Mm. Thank you, Karamu. Thank you for today, for this <clears throat> conversation. Is there anything that any of us that is still here that we that is left unsaid for today on your heart, Karamu? There's something that I, I wanted to share because I, I read it somewhere recently. Um... And this is what I would like to leave everybody with. Um, and I'll read it because I just discovered it. So I haven't yet memorized it. But remember I said, what is the life, uh, what is the life calling to be lived in me? And I found this statement from someone called Andre Matthias. So her words are, what is the future that stands in need of you in order to bring it into reality? What is the future that stands in need of me in order to bring it into reality? That's the invitation and the ending with which I would like to end this um, amazing conversation. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Clay. Thank you, Karambu. And Thanks, we all Dad. shall see you next time.